Thank you, Father, for this morning. I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for uh, this church that you've gathered together, you've called out of this world. I thank you most of all for your son. Thank you for sending him uh, according to your will. Thank you for glorifying him in his death and resurrection. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, see his face soon, that he would come quickly, Lord. Uh, please do this uh, for our good. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so uh, if you don't have a um, copy of the confession, we've got a few. Um, but this is what we'll be working out of this morning. Uh, so go ahead and turn to chapter 8. And like I said, we'll, we'll start with paragraphs uh, 6 and following. Um, <clears throat> paragraphs 4 through 10, um, Alex did 4 and 5 last week, but 4 through 10 as a whole is looking specifically at the execution of the office of mediator. So if Christ is our mediator, how exactly does he mediate? And so that's what paragraphs 4 through 10, the, the majority of this chapter, um, are addressing. So we'll, we'll, we'll see real, real practical ways as we're going through this. So paragraph 6. <clears throat> Although the price of redemption was not actually paid by Christ until after his incarnation, yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefit thereof were communicated to the elect in all ages successively, from the beginning of the world in and by those promises, types, and sacrifices wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed from which should bruise the serpent's head and the lamb slain from the foundation of the world being the same yesterday and today and forever. All right. <clears throat> um, so if you remember uh, last time I was here, so two weeks ago, in chapter 7, when we were looking at God's covenant, in paragraph 3, it says, um, all the posterity of, of fallen Adam that were saved did obtain life and blessed immortality. Um, that is, again, remember, as we're reading horizontally, um, these are, these are uh, informing one another. So this paragraph 6 in chapter 8 and paragraph 3 in chapter 7 is, is looking at, although the price of redemption was not actually paid by Christ until after his incarnation, it's referring then to what we saw in chapter 7, these Old Testament saints who were saved through Christ, uh, but that was not actualized until after his incarnation. Okay, just helpful to, to be reminded of that again and again as we're going through. <clears throat> um, Christ mediates uh, in and by those promises, types, and sacrifices wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed which should bruise the serpent's head. So how, how, did these, uh, how did these Old Testament people that we read about all throughout Scripture, um, how did they interact with, if you want to say, with Christ? Well, think about um, when it's talking about these, these promises, these types, these sacrifices. It already referenced... Um, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, right? The, the seed of the woman will, will crush the seed of the serpent, or the, the head of the serpent. Um, 
But then you also have, uh, towards the end of Genesis, you have the promise that Abraham, not Abraham, uh, Jacob gives his son Judah, that the scepter of Judah shall never depart, right? Well, that's, that's a promise that's pointing us to Christ, right? Jesus from the, the tribe of Judah, and the scepter will never depart. That's tied into the promise that the Lord directly gives to King David, who is a, of the tribe of Judah. Um, there will be one on his throne for all eternity. Um, we also have the sacrificial lamb, uh, the, the blood of the lamb covering the doors in Egypt, right? These are, these are types of the, the Christ, the lamb, who is shed for our deliverance, our salvation. Then you have stru- uh, structural images like the tabernacle and the temple. All of those are pointing to Christ. So all throughout our Old Testament, we're seeing Jesus in shadows and in these types, um, but it's all pointing to him. And, and it's, it's, it's getting more and more acute as, as the, the Old Testament continues on. It, it started with Genesis 3.15, and, and that's, it's very vague, but it's a short promise. And by the time you're, you're wrapping up in the Old Testament, you have the prophets saying he'll be born in Bethlehem, right? It's getting very specific. And then, uh, and then, then Christ comes. <clears throat> uh, paragraph 7 then, in Christ, or Christ, in the work of mediation, acts according to both natures, by each nature doing what that which is proper to itself Yet by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. All right, this is, a, this is what I would say probably the, the more complex paragraph of this whole chapter. And what this, cha- this paragraph is making clear um, is that there, there must be and there are distinctions in our Bibles regarding Christ's humanity and his deity. And so Christ did certain things in his humanity, and he did certain things in his deity, and, and all the while he was both fully God and fully man. And so that's what this paragraph, it's, it's kind of uh, putting this category before us in our confession to make sure at, at no point do we, as, as Reformed Baptists, ever think that we can separate Christ's humanity and his deity, or ever say that Scripture doesn't, uh, recognize or address these things. So an example is John three thirteen. You see, that's one of the supporting texts. That reads, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. All right, so it's speaking of Christ's deity, but it's also calling him the Son of Man. And so both his deity and his humanity. Acts twenty twenty eight says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Well, we know God is a spirit. He doesn't have blood. And so, again, it's, it's referring very clearly and very carefully to this humanity and this deity. So we must read all of Scripture in light of all other Scripture, right? So uh, a good example of this is Christ being really and truly tempted by Satan in his humanity for we know God cannot be tempted, right? So, so keep that category in your mind. It's, it's very important. Um, if you dismiss that, um, it, uh, you, you can end up in very dangerous waters. 
Um, so that's really, and as, yeah, it takes you a few times, or at least for, for me, reading through that paragraph over and over, very carefully trying to consider each word. But as a whole, I just want to put that before you guys. That's, that's kind of what, what's being said there. Okay. Um, paragraph eight, then, as we're moving along, is uh, uh, this is, we're starting to get now into the, remember, we're, we're considering the execution of Christ as mediator. This, how, how does, uh, what, what is the application of Christ? This is the, the effectual application of Christ as our mediator. So listen, because it, it, it uses that word effectual. To all those for whom Christ has obtained, either has a, obtained eternal redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them, uniting them to himself by his spirit, revealing to them in and by his word the mystery of salvation, persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation, and all of free and absolute grace without any condition foreseen in them to produce it. So there's a lot here. Uh, what's really neat is uh, paragraph 8 is, is setting the stage for paragraphs 9 and 10, and, uh, and so I'll, I'll make a point to, to show those connections, but uh, Christ does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same making intercession for them. Everyone who repents and believes in Christ will be saved. There is no question about that. Uh, so it's, it's getting at the, the effectual, the, the certainty of this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because we are sealed to Christ by his spirit. So you see that um, in uh, about halfway through down, uniting them to himself by his spirit. And then he is, he is uh, revealing to them. All right, so, so follow along. If you do write in your uh, confession, that's fine. Um, make underlines maybe under these. So uniting, to, uh, uniting them to himself by his spirit. Okay, revealing to them, revealing in and by his word, the mystery of salvation, persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit, and overcoming, so revealing, persuading, governing, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom. <clears throat> this is getting us prepared for paragraph 9, which is going to um, introduce prophet, priest, and king, um, really necessary offices of Christ. Um, first time we're seeing them uh, explicitly in the confession. Um, so, so just uh, hold on to those words because those are all those are all uh, tied together uh, in Christ. Um, but lastly, with this paragraph, uh, this is without any condition foreseen in them to procure it. All right, we are we're Calvinists. Uh, our, our confession necessitates that, um, which is not a great. It's not a great term. We're, we're just, we're biblical, right? Um, and so Christ saves according to his love and mercy, not according to anything he foresaw in us, right? So the, 
the common uh, other alternative to this is that the Lord uh, sovereignly looks down the quarters of time and, and sees us choose him, and so then he elects us. When in reality, uh, we, are, we are saved, we, we are sealed by his spirit before the foundations of the world without any condition foreseen in us that procured that, right? Does that make sense? <clears throat> All right. Um, I want to pause here and, uh, um, and ask if there's any questions because we're going to jump into 9 and 10, and 9 and 10 is really uh, about prophet, priest, and king, and that's a good, it's a good break here. So any questions on those first uh, three paragraphs? Six, seven, or eight. <clears throat> yes, Miss Heidi. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I wasn't sure how much to introduce in case they weren't what Alex used as his outline. But um, so, paragraph six. If uh, if this is all under paragraphs four through ten, remember the execution of the office of mediator. Par, uh, paragraph six then is. Uh, uh, what Sam Waldron uh, comments as the ancient communications, okay? Because it's going all the way back to the, really the, the beginning of time, um, more or less, um, back to the garden with that reference of the bruised, uh, the seeds. Um, so the communication of the mediator who is coming. And then in paragraph seven, you have um, the, its mysterious communion, um, let me scroll back up. So it's mysterious communion. Um, <clears throat> the reason that is the, the, the heading given to that paragraph is uh, um, there are things when we're considering the humanity and deity of Christ that we can understand, and then there are simply other things that we just we can't get our finite minds around, and that's good, and that's okay. Um, so it's mysterious communion. And then uh, it's effectual application for paragraph eight. <clears throat> and then paragraphs nine and ten, we're going to see uh, uh, Christ, the offices of Christ, these, this prophet, priest, and king. Okay. Any other questions before we jump in? All right. <clears throat> This office of mediator between God and man is proper only to Christ, who is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God, and may not be either in whole or any part thereof transferred from him to any other. All right. The confession is being really, really clear here. Um, before it even identifies what those offices are, it's saying this is only something found in Christ alone. Uh, this is the threefold office of Christ, and this is how he mediates between God and man in every way. Um, what the, the original framers are, are addressing, and you'll hear this come out more and more throughout the confession as you move on, but um, the Pope uh, or any priest or anybody cannot be the vicar, right, the, the vicar or mediator for man, Okay. Uh, it is Christ alone, and so anyone standing in this place of, of mediator 
would then be an antichrist because they would be against Christ's mediatorial office or his, his, uh, his role. Um, and so uh, that, that ending there, being transferred from him, that's the, that's the Catholic claim is that it's been, that it's been handed off or, or uh, um, yeah, others have been empowered by this to work and serve, again, still for Christ, right? And yet it's backwards because it's, 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 it's separating Christ from who he is and, and what he's doing for us. So, so that would be um, what the, the original con, um, framers of the confession are, are getting at uh, with this, uh, this jab at the papacy. Um, but for us today, it's, I mean, it's anything. It, it, any, any good work that we are looking to for any semblance of righteousness, um, any, any uh, pastor or person in general that we look to uh, to um, uh, ease, ease our burden of sin by what he says and, uh, and how he comforts us, um, we're doing the same thing, right? And so we it, don't just say that's for the Catholics and, and the Pope. I mean, it, this, is, this is in the heart of man. We, we, we sinfully want to do this. Um, so so we, need, we need to be careful. We need to be prayerful of this. And it's also good that we're meditating on Christ in these offices so that we're becoming more and more convinced of this. Okay. All right, so uh, last paragraph then, paragraph 10, and we're seeing really here the specifics of the, the offices, the threefold offices of Christ. So this number, right, three, this number and order of offices is necessary. Prophet, priest, king. For in respect of our ignorance, okay, so this is prophet, in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office. And in respect of our alienation from God, and imperfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. So that's prophet, that's priest. And in respect to our averseness and utter, utter inability to return to God and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need his kingly office to convince subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to his heavenly kingdom. Okay, so this is how uh, Christ mediates for his own. And we need Christ, and we need him to be all three of these. We can't have just one and the other two, or you can't have two and forget the one. We need all three of these things. Um, The Baptist Catechism, which uh, really just expounds in a lot more clarity, or not clarity, uh, more, more detail, the confession uh, goes through this. So Baptist uh, questions 26 through 29 specifically is where you'll find uh, really careful, uh, very helpful question and answer for each one of these. Um, this is not a, a uh, unique to Baptist. This is not unique to sovereign grace. Um, it's not unique to just the elders here. Um, this is this is all throughout church history, because it's it's all throughout our our scriptures, right? Uh, these offices of Christ. Um, it's not just some system that that's been made up uh, for for our benefit. Um, it's just recognizing what what we find in the Bible. 
So how do you find the offices of Christ in Scripture then? Is that something that I want to I want to encourage us in because what we're doing every every Wednesday night, um, if you're on the south side, it's on Tuesday nights, but every Wednesday night we gather uh, into, into smaller groups and are going through this. And we're taking the sermon from Sunday, we're, we're sitting together and we're considering the specific applications that were given to us from the from whoever was preaching. And then we're, we're considering, okay, if, instead of this vague notion of I'm supposed to trust Jesus this week, right? <laughs> That's only so helpful. Um, but it also puts a lot more work on ourselves to try and figure out how and when and what that actually looks like. So how do we trust Jesus? How do we look to him as our mediator? How does he mediate uh, in light of these specific applications? Well, that's what we're talking about um, in, in our, our midweek uh, groups. So um, on Tuesdays, the, the Long Acres are leading that one down the south side, and then the Molt Makers have one on Wednesday. There's one here on Wednesday night, and then there's one on the west side at the Durant Court's house on Wednesday night. Um, I'd encourage you guys to consider going to them, at, even if it's just once a month. Uh, get in the habit of reading your Bible and considering Christ in his offices, uh, because it is not just incredibly encouraging, but it's incredibly helpful. Um, <clears throat> so how do we find the offices of Christ in Scripture? Uh, it can seem a little overwhelming. Uh, Baptist question 27 says, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? The answer is that he executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Okay? So when we are looking and, and reading in the Bible, a great example of this will be tonight at the prayer service. Um, Clyde's doing the one here, and Alan is doing the one on the west side prayer service. Um, but uh, Psalm 119, uh, 106 maybe, the Lord, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet, right? Um, the, the God's word is illuminating and it's guiding us. That's, that's Christ's prophetic office because it, it, is, it is revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation, okay? So anytime you're reading in scripture of uh, illumination or eyes being opened um, or on, on the contrast, um, men's eyes being blinded, right? There's a, there's a need there or a cry for Christ to, to intercede as, as prophet, okay? Um, as priests then, uh, Christ executes the office of priest, question 28, and answer says, in his once offering up himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God, and in continual intercession for us. So what we're seeing here is, is uh, really uh, this, this heart, heart of the word mediate, right? Uh, it's this intercession. Uh, Christ once sacrificed himself. He satisfied divine justice, the wrath that was due us. And because of that, then we're reconciled to God. So, so as we're reading through scripture and uh, you're reading in Leviticus and you're reading of the, the sacrificial system, and you're reading the blood, and if you don't have the money to buy a ram, you can, you can buy this, uh, I think it's a, maybe a goat next, but there's a, there's a whole, 
because God wants there to be a bloody sacrifice given for, for sin, that, that is pointing to Christ in his priestly office. But it, not even just the sacrifice itself, but actually the priests that are present there, the line of Aaron, right? That's also pointing to Christ in his priestly office. Um, when we're praying or when you're seeing prayers done in Scripture, which, no kidding, there's a bunch of prayers in Scripture, um, that, that, is, that is men relying on Christ to intercede for them before the throne of God, okay? Um, so, so already you're just, you can see it's everywhere. It's, it's all throughout our Bibles. And then again, anywhere we're seeing uh, Christ as our king, um, he, he executes this office in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Um, so, uh, how many times does David cry out to the Lord to deliver him, to be uh, his defense or um, a, uh, a refuge, right? Um, uh, it's fresh on my mind because I just preached this past Sunday, but Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is our, our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. That's prophet, priest, and king, right? A king there, there's these ar- armies that are coming against him, seeking to devour him. And he, he's relying on the Lord to deliver him. He's relying on Christ's uh, kingly office for that, that deliverance, okay, that protection. Um, maybe, uh, uh, maybe you grew up hearing, I didn't, I, I guess I'm too young and it kind of faded out, but um, praying for a hedge of protection around somebody in the church. Um, that's not nearly as popularly uh, said today. But that's the same idea. That's, that's where people were getting that of Scripture was it's, we're looking to Christ in his kingly office to pr- protect and guard his people, right? So um, I hope that's helpful for you um, and not discouraging. Um, uh, I attribute this to be very much like prayer. We're, we're all called to pray, and praying is a good thing. It's not just a, it's a command, but it's, it's really, it's, we're, it's necessary. We need prayer. Um, but the more you, prayer, prayer is, is work, right? It's not just a passive thing, and it takes time. It takes practice. It's like a muscle that we need to be exercising regularly. Um, and, and so this is very similar to that. Um, uh, if you disregard these categories of these offices of Christ, um, you will not, you'll not be quick to see them in Scripture. And it's not just like head knowledge you'll also not be quick to apply them to yourself throughout the week. Uh, so I, I'm really trying to emphasize just the, the value in this. Um, again, this is how Christ is our mediator, and this is how he's our mediator very practically. Um, so if you, again, if you want to see how this is done just more carefully and more specifically, uh, the midweek uh, life group meetings are a great way of doing that. Um, but also ask, ask our elders, because we're all uh, working through this. Uh, we're still getting our, our um, hands around this as well, because, yeah, it's a, it's a sweet, lifelong work. So um, that's, uh, that's it for paragraph 10, um, really just underlining uh, the this, this specifics that was, that was outlined in paragraph 9 of these offices. So let's, let's end here. And... Um, let me ask if there's questions uh, specifically about these offices um, or anything else from this chapter. Yes, Nick. More so a comment, but I just 
Yeah. 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 I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, thank you. Yes. So one of the helpful ways that we we approach this because um, uh, the the not the number but the order. There there are some who say the order is not necessary. Um, I don't think that the no, I think the I think uh, our Presbyterian brothers are pretty pretty certain about the order, but there are other groups or other theologians that say the order is not necessary. Um, uh, one of the really great ways of thinking through this um, is uh, when you look at Christ in His offices, then we look at we look at man, we look at ourselves in our right response to those, and so when you see Christ in His uh, priest, uh, prophetic office. For ourselves, that's our head, right? Because that is, we're we're hearing, we're we're uh, comprehending what Christ's word, right? Christ's priestly office is then going to affect our heart, right? Because there is a there's a, a new nature. The heart of stone is removed. The heart of flesh is given. That will change our hearts. We can have, and we know many many people that have a head knowledge of Jesus, but if they do not have Christ as a priest. Uh, th- then that's just head knowledge. That's all it is. It's just puffing up. If that, if there is a new heart, there is a new love. Then there will be, as as our um, the epistles tell us, there will be fruit of that. Right. So then, then we're looking at Christ in His kingly office, and then we're looking at our hands. Okay. So that's just a helpful way to remember that head, heart, and hands follow, like Nick was just pointing out, this this almost logical order of prophet, priest, king. Um, so, so we will, we have to know the truth in order to believe it, right? And the Lord does make that clear to us. We have to have a new heart to, to actually uh, live according to that, to, to be given hope or, or put faith in that truth that we know, right? And then, and then we're going to live according to that. And so uh, if Christ is reigning and ruling over all things as our king, we're going to live like that. Okay, so our hands, what we are doing, things we're saying, our actual actions, our deeds, those will be affected by Christ, right? Who he is, what he has said in his word, what he has done in our hearts will affect what we actually do with our hands, right? Is that helpful? Any questions on that? Yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up, Nick, because that, that is really good for us to remember the, with the ordering of those things and how it relates to us men. Yes, Keisha. Yeah, yeah. The best example for me is um, the I made the reference of works, right? Like if we, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a person, um, but uh, if we are, uh, if we are looking to um, our our daily Bible time as as being 
not the not Christ mediating for us in his priestly or his his prophetic office with his word, but we're actually looking to this act as being, man, I'm more Christian today. You, does that make sense? Um, we're, what we're doing, maybe even unknowingly, is uh, often unknowingly, is we're we're setting Christ aside in who he is and how he acts, right? Because it's an objective act of how Christ is. Um, the ex- the example with uh, another person is um, there are a lot of churches where. Um, uh, the members, the, the members of the church, have been taught. Not not explicitly. They just learned. I really don't even need to bring my Bible to church because that's what the that's what the pastor does, right? He gets up and he tells me what I need to be doing this week. Um, I'm so thankful that we don't do that. We're 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 not a church like that. But um, a lot of people come from churches like that. And, uh, and it becomes very, very uh, Pope-ish at that point because my, my life is dictated by what the pastor says. And I don't know if he's preaching from the word or not, but it sure sounds godly. Um, and, and so we can attribute to him a, a, uh, an authority or, or in this case, a, a priest or a, a prophetic office of him maybe speaking outside of what scripture actually says about something. He can be putting his own words into it. Um, that's just one example. Um, uh, we, can, we, can, uh, we can value um, the philosophies of today as being just as authoritative as scripture, right? Or a, um, a science textbook, right? As soon as we read about something uh, and we say, well, this... There's, there seemed to be a contradiction between Scripture, so uh, this is obviously true, so let me figure out in the Bible how this has to work around this truth, right? We can, we can start elevating things, and it could even just be words from, like, a friend, but we can start elevating things to a, 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 uh, a primacy or a, a, a place of superiority or, or really authority that is not appropriate. Is that helpful? I'm, I was just trying to think through a few different examples of what that could look like. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Yes. Okay. The answer or just the question in general? Okay. Yeah. I, I, would, I would love to know where is doctrine and teaching was preserved prior to this time period when they were articulated. Prior to like 1689. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these teachings fomented out of the Reformation or mm-hmm. clarified, crystallized doctrine became clear church doctrine. Yeah. 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 The um, and you're are you talking about specifically about the prophet or the the offices like this specific? Or are you talking about just justification, right? Yeah. So and a good thing to remember because um, we do have a couple minutes is there's always been a Catholic Church, always, right? There's always been a Catholic Church. There has not always been a Roman Catholic Church, 
And what happened is you get into what, what now is historically referred to as the Dark Ages, and exactly this happened. Men were put in places of, of authority where the, the word was set aside to the point where people didn't even, not only did they not have their own, uh, the own, their own word of God, they actually didn't even know the language it was preached in, right? So it was set aside. So all of a sudden, man's word, the, 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 the new prophet of the day, were these, these priests. And, and as man's heart does, right, that they grab that authority, and that's where you start having this, this, this diverge with the Roman Catholic Church, and it, uh, and it splits off. And so um, uh, all of these offices... And in the, um, yeah, the, the Pope today, in, in every way, doctrinally, the Catholic doctrine is, is anti all three of these offices, right? Because the Pope is now in all three of these offices. So it's definitely grown over time, and it's become more, uh, more acute. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it would, it would uh, um, it'd be great to go back and look at some... Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you'd have to just go back through the church fathers. Now, um, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the, um, the actual, like, grouping together of prophet, priest, and king, I don't think that actually was, like, clearly laid forth as, hey, this is, this is how we need to be referring to this so we all know we're on the same page and talking about the same thing. I think that was, was not said until um, probably right around the Reformation. Up until then, it, it is Christ acting in these ways is always spoken of, right? And it's talked about, but, but you're not going to have um, Athanasius say, well, here we see Christ... Uh, prophet, priest, and king, and he's going to lay that out. It's not going to be that clean and clear, but he's going to be talking about Christ as, as prophet, right? Um, so yeah, it, it's just going to take a lot more reading because, uh, you know, they weren't writing systematic uh, as, or as systematically. So yeah, it'd be a good, good uh, research project for you to do if you have the time, <laughs> which you don't. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, I'll see if I can find uh, some more uh, abstracts of uh, here's a paragraph from you know yeah any of those early church fathers so all right um, the door is about to be broken in so let me pray and then we'll we'll uh, conclude Father I thank you uh, again Lord for Christ who is our mediator I thank you. Uh, that in him we have uh, the light that leads and guides us uh, through the darkness of this world. We have uh, one who uh, atoned for our sin fully and finally at the cross and is now reigning and ruling and guarding us and protecting us uh, from uh, our enemies and from your enemies. I pray, Lord, that we would live in light of these truths and we would uh, we would be quick to meditate on them, Lord, and that they would be... Uh, uh, wonderful uh, delights of our, our hearts and our minds in our day-to-day lives, Lord. Amen.